Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. JJ Cooper here with Nicholas Rossini from Rapsodo, analytics manager for Rapsodo. We're having another MLB draft podcast as we get ready for the 2021 draft Sunday through Tuesday of uh, this upcoming week. If you heard the last one we did of this, you're going to know what you to expect here. You're going to know that we're going to dive deep. And I do mean deep into some interesting players. But if you didn't listen to that one, I I do want to give a recommendation. If you listen to this one, you already got it on your, you already listened to it now, but if you enjoy this one, it's very similar. We did a a similar podcast a couple of weeks ago where we drove, dove into Sam Bachman, a lot of players who had interesting attributes. And that's what we're going to do again today. But Nicholas kind of to dive into that, we were both at the MLB draft combine, Cary, North Carolina, I guess a couple of weeks ago, a week ago. Time is a uh, circle at this point as we get ready for the draft. I don't know what day it is, to be honest with you. But recently, we were both at the uh, MLB Draft Combine. I was there observing. You were there more directly working uh, because Repsoto was gathering uh, data at the event. Uh, And kind of, I'll start with a very open-ended question of what was that like and, and what did you learn? Yeah, for sure. So it was an awesome experience to be there. So uh, we were actually fortunate enough to be on the field um, during BP, during um, during some of the pitching sessions, um, to be actually to actually be able to gather the data on the on the hitters and pitchers that were that were throwing and hitting at the event. Um, so being there, being able to be near you know a bunch of the top LB scouts, employees, things like that. I mean, you know, there were former MLB players, Tori Hunter, Fred McGriff, Jared Salsalamakia, uh, Mike Cameron, a lot of players, the former players that were there um, kind of working for the, the network, but also just as people that, you know, could be supportive of the players. It was really cool to see um, because I have more of that data side experience with less of that, uh, you know, the ability to see these players, you know, hit, hitting, hitting balls in person and, and throwing pitches. So it was, it was very cool uh, to be able to see that. Um, and also to kind of be able to show some of these players um, and, and you know, former players and current players and current prospects, uh, some of the data. So, you know, a lot of people would walk up, you know, they'd see us on our iPad. They, oh, what is this? You know, what do you guys do? Um, kind of showing them some of the numbers, some of the metrics we'll get into today. Um, and, you know, get, be able to see it in real time, which I think for a lot of players, you know, some, sometimes during BP groups or you know, some of the hitters would come off and be like, oh, what was the EV on that one? And, you know, they kind of be challenging each other to, you know, hit the ball longest, hit the ball the hardest. It was cool to see just that first person, you know, some of the absolute, absolute top talent, you know, in, in the nation be able to, to kind of be there in front of them. And the other thing is, is, and this is why we're here today, you gathered a lot of very interesting data. Uh, we are going to, that's what we're going to dive into. I, I, I know we have another podcast. We already covered this, but I want to cover it again. When you say, when I say you have interesting data, what are you looking for? As you gather with pitchers, you had the rep soda there that was gathering, obviously, velocity, spin rate, movement profiles, all that. With hitters, you're gathering 
launch angle, exit velocity, all that. But what, when we say that these are interesting, why is it that these are players? What are attributes that you're looking for that makes someone stand out? Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways um, kind of with this question. So I, I would say really it's just people that are, that are you know, th you're already there with people that are the best of the best, right? This is the MLB combine. But at the same time, you're looking for players that, you know, stand out as unique players in that group. So, you know, guys hit the ball the hardest, right? I mean, they were pretty long. You know, we'll start, also start kind of generally with hitting. Now, there were guys, they're all hitting it hard. Let's, you know, be clear that none of these guys were hitting the ball soft. None of these guys were, you know, there are very few players that I'd profile there that were, you know, singles only hitters. But there were some guys that also, even with all the all the power and all the, the great contact ability, I mean, they were just taking BP, so the ability to hit the ball hard kind of was a prerequisite. But um, the ability to stand out in that group, and there were certain players within that group that you know were, by and large, both both uh, uh, college and high school players um, that that stood out. Um, and then on the pitching side, players that you could see um, maybe had a great breaking ball or or you know threw the ball the hardest. I mean, like like I said, there were. Many, many players that are able to touch 95 plus at this event, but the, the ability to maintain that velocity over the entire BP session or the ability to snap off a great breaking ball. I'm um, really just the ability to see and find players that, you know, maybe trying to make, pay, make a name for themselves by going to the, to the combine and raise their draft stock. Really, it, it shows through in the data. And the other thing that we've talked about before is, is also, it's always great to be unusual. <laughs> what you're looking for, <laughs> this sounds crazy, but if, all of a sudden we snapped our fingers tomorrow and everyone threw a hundred miles an hour. Now that'd be terrible for hitters right away, but five years from now throwing a hundred with, you know, whatever movement that well, these generic pitchers now have would be something that hitters would get adjusted to, or at least somewhat adjusted to, because if you are like everyone else, that's better for hitters than if you are unlike everyone else. And so that's another thing that I think that we'll, we'll dive into today. And this is going to be a lot of Nicholas talking and me asking questions because we're just going to start it off. I'm going to say, okay, let's dive into pitchers. Who are a couple of, let's start with who's a pitcher that stood out to you that, and why it's a simple question who and why. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll start with Mason Erla. So Michigan state, um, Michigan state uh, pitcher, and he is uh, currently ranked in the in the low 400s by Baseball America. Um, and he actually did the hardest pitch of the combine. He touched 99 on his fastball. You know, he's comfortably sitting 95 plus, I would say 94, 97. But, I mean, through, you know, it went down to 94. But, I mean, honestly, the ability to touch 99 is, is even in today's game, a pretty rare quality, um, especially at an event like this uh, where it's mostly, you know, high, uh, college and high school guys. Um, and kind of the interesting part I thought about that, other than the fact, I mean, 99 isn't easy to do, is the fact that he throws it um, at – around 150 spin direction so think about it like a clock um 150 is um you know closer to three o'clock side than the than the pure 12 o'clock um and it's rare to see a guy throwing that hard at that slot um especially not out of a you know a sidearm side he's a he would say he's comfortably a three quarters guy but he's not a you know he's not a sidearm guy by any means um and he gets a because of that spin direction of 150 he's actually getting more run on the pitch than than ride if you kind of if those are the two different ways to They're look right. at it right Run would be more of that horizontal movement, sinker ball type. Yeah, so ride would be the ability to kind of miss bats um, above, essentially the ability to throw that pure 12, 12 o'clock fastball um, and kind of ride above the bats. Um, run would be that ability to, you know, move the ball left and right. Um, for a righty, um, that arm side run on a fastball at the very least is normally into that right-handed batter. 
Um, whereas the lefty would be into the, into the left-handed batter. Um, and then, you know, the ability to throw it that hard at that slot is a very unique thing. Um, at a relatively high efficiency. So he's, he's throwing a 95 plus uh, percent efficient, which you'd like to see it probably get maybe a little bit higher to, you know, averaging 99. There's a lot of guys that can throw more or less every pitch at a hundred percent, 99% efficiency, um, which is a little bit tougher for my observation on, on guys that throw at that such a low slot, like, you know, 150, almost two o'clock, which is tough to do. Um, but, but it is something that you could improve on and, you know, get a little bit more out of that pitch. I also find it fascinating. You just said he's, he's 413, I believe, on our current list. And one of the things that's interesting about Mason Erlo, we, he was a, an interesting guy in last year's draft. I think it's pretty safe to say if it had not been a five-round draft last year, Mason Erlo would have easily been a draft pick last year. But because of that, he is also, he's almost 24 years old. Of the players in our top 500, he is the fourth oldest in the top on our BA 500 Kevin Copps, by the way, is the oldest, the uh, Arkansas stud reliever this year, who's on his way to being 24 and a half with, you know, on draft day, he's almost a 24 and a half. Earl is not that old, but he is one of the oldest players in the draft, which is one of the interesting characteristics that we're having to allow for in a very unusual draft. You had all these players who normally would have been drafted in 2020 who are back in the 2021 draft and figuring out how you line those up how teams are going to line those up is very difficult, especially though with hitters, I, I think there's much more of a penalty to being older as a hitter than there is as a pitcher. And so it will be interesting to see how teams evaluate. Okay. When you're looking at, I've got a 21 year old pitcher here, an 18 year old pitcher there and an almost 24 year old pitcher here, but Mason Erla, I've been interested in. He's a very interesting name to me. I nasty stuff. And I will be very interested to see where he goes. What's another pitcher that, that stood out to you? Yeah. Uh, we'll go to the, uh, to the high school side now. So Peter Hugh, uh, Hubeck, I believe um, is the way it's pronounced. So it's uh, he's a wake forest commit right now. He's 105th uh, low hundreds in the baseball America ranking. Um, and he, you know, as, as a high school guy, he doesn't throw as hard. So I'm going to, I'm going to touch more on his, on his breaking stuff here. Um, and, and of the curveballs he was able to throw at the combine, I was very impressed. It's, it's one of those slow breakers. Um, at times, he was getting 25 inches of negative um, vertical break, which um, think about it like if you remove actual gravity from the pitch, this is how much break you would be, you know, casting down, you know, to, to make the ball go downward, um, even without gravity, right? The, 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 the ball is dipping even more with gravity. But the ability to, to induce 25 inches of, of negative um, – vertical break is extremely impressive and at times he was even getting that pitch to 90 percent plus spin efficient which i mean as a you know when we talk about fastballs 90 percent would be a, a actually a rather low number for spin efficiency but the ability to throw a curveball at anywhere near i mean 80 percent is by all means awesome 90 percent, 95 percent is almost unheard of um and he didn't do this every time he threw a few at the, in, in the low 80s but he threw i think two or three pitches of the 20 pitches he was able to throw um, obviously with other pitches mixed in, he threw it at 90 plus percent efficient, which I know it's a pitch at only 70 miles an hour, which I mean, is, is fine as a curveball. You know, maybe you want to get the velo up a little bit, depending on, you know, the way you're going to approach pitches on with him. But I mean, extremely impressive that you're able to get 95 plus efficient at that six o'clock. It was a pure 12, six breaker. 
So what would it, because it is more efficient, what will that mean for the pitch as compared to like, if you said, I'm going to look at that 90 plus percent spin efficient 12 to six curveball versus say a 75% spin efficient curveball. Yeah. So, so with that, you're going to get um, a few inches more of downward break on that ball by the time it reaches the plate. So, you know, that, that extra 20% in efficiency is only going to help the ball go downward. Um, that that twenty percent that's let's say for for the, for the sake of argument or for the sake of explanation here is wasted. Um, I wouldn't say wasted. It's still doing something, but it's still but it's not um, helping the ball go downward per se. So that extra twenty percent is going to equate to at least two to three inches more of, of downward vertical break. Which you know if if the if most hitters are see, expected seeing you know maybe a seventy percent efficient curveball, which is fine, not a bad curveball. Um, maybe they're swinging either they're catching that 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 uh 70 efficient curveball but they're swinging over the top of that 90 efficient curveball at the same speed at the same spin rate like he's not a high spin rate guy but the ability to get to that 90 percent maybe add some spin rate or you know create other unique looks is very is very cool i mean even the ability to get to 90 percent is 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 phenomenal no that's the interesting thing with hubeck you are talking about when you see that kind of break in a curveball it's kind of fascinating to see where this is going to go for him because you, you are talking about, you have this attribute already, but you also talked about it's a slower curveball. How much of that counteracts kind of what you're seeing from the, the, the break and the depth of it? Yeah, I mean, I would say it, I don't know, the, the, the fact is that if it's slower, it has more time to break. Obviously, there's more time for a hitter to process, but at the same time, if you're throwing that pitch, I mean, right, if you're throwing a pitch at 70 miles an hour, unless you're throwing a get me over, like, you know, a pitch to, to confuse the hitter a little bit, maybe like a, you know, oh, oh, like flip one over curveball. You're pretty much trying to throw that pitch um, to be deceptive and throw it low in the zone and probably bounce it. Maybe not bounce it, but you know what I mean? And throwing, right. throwing it low to induce a swing on a pitch that's almost never going to be hit. So I would say as long as that pitch is paired well with it, with, with a fastball, that's a high efficient, you know, 12 o'clock fastball, which I don't believe he has as of now. I mean, obviously he's a, he's a guy that has a lot of projectability. Um, he's throwing closer to a 90, 91, 92, as opposed to, you know, uh, in 95 right now. But I would say as long as he's able to pair that pitch well with a fastball that is being thrown in the zone and more competitively, um, he's, he's going to be able to throw that curveball low in the zone and get a lot of swings and misses because guys are going to be cheating on that fastball. Um, so it is an interesting, from that standpoint of, yeah, he's going to have a hard time locating it a bit because he is going to be throwing it low in the zone. Um, I, I don't want to say hard time locating. I want to say hard time throwing that pitch for a strike, given the amount of you know, the incredible amount of well, break it has, but he will be able to be deceptive. And, and the thing about it is, is that is more of a two strike curve we're talking about because to throw that pitch for a strike with that much break also means that you have to start off. You, you almost have to cast it that you, your, your aim point has to be such that you then probably are getting into again. And I, I'm, I don't want to go overboard on this because, you know, but you, that's when you often get the hump, you get that, that pitch that comes out of the hand with a rise. Well, if that happens at the pro level, you've already defeated it because what you were talking about earlier, you're trying to pair it with a fastball. You, you want to throw that a little lower. You want to have that where it's coming out like that fastball and then dives, not where it comes out in a recognizable manner to be different from the fastball because Homer Bailey many, many years ago, because I'm old was a teaching point for me because seeing his curveball, it looked at class a, like it was a great pitch. And then he got to double a triple a and they had to completely rework the pitch. And it was like, why? Well, because 
yeah, it looked great. It had big break, but it had that hump out of the hand. And as hitter, as he went up the ladder, hitters absolutely recognized. It was like, almost like you were yelling to them before he threw the pitch. I'm throwing a curveball now. And so you, you had to adjust. So that's one of the things fascinating about that. Well, now let's go back to the college side. Another pitcher that I'm very interested in, who's been kind of a prominent prospect for a couple of years now, but what was it about Seth Lonsway from Ohio State that really stood out to you? Yeah, so, I mean, straight away, and this is a guy that we didn't, uh, we weren't able to see at the event, but we, we do have data on um, just his rap sort of data in general. Um, and again, another guy with an incredible curveball lefty with a pure 12-6, um, averaging around 550, which is, you know, right near 6 o'clock. Um, high spin efficiency, not as high as, as Hubex, but still, you know, by all means, 80-plus percent, great pitch. A uh, high spin rate, so 28, 2900, you know, at the minimum 26, 2700, um, which is fantastic. You know, the mm-hmm. ability to, to really get that downward spin is is, is, is great. Um, and really, I mean, it doesn't get much better. And he throws it out of that such a high slot. I mean, it throws everything out of such a high slot that it's going to pair extremely well with that with a high efficiency fastball. Um, and you know, getting right over the top, I mean, it's almost a la Kershaw. I mean, obviously, not, not the same exact uh, motion as, Ker- as Kershaw, but honestly, from that left side, there's, they're, they're comparable curveballs. Um, and, and really, as long as he can locate, like I know, I know his, his main drawback right now is basically just the, is the control, but if he can get those pitches near the zone, hitters are going to have a very tough time. Um, especially if tunneled well as well, right. Releasing those, those two pitches is similarly. Um, if you can locate them near the zone, it's going to make it you know, very, very tough on hitters to, to get the curveball, you know, to pick up on that curveball, being such a similar pitch to a, to a high efficiency fastball. Interesting, you talk about that. Going like pitch theory and all, because I know that you like to dive into this too. If you're over the top like that, it really does. There are there are pitchers who almost kind of create what their assortment needs to be by their release point. If you're high over the top, you kind of need to be. Most of the time, again, there's always weird exceptions, but most of the time you're going to need to be kind of a, a, a fastball curveball guy more so than fastball slider because you're, you're throwing a slider from that slot. It's not going to have the kind of the, the movement profile necessarily. The, the, and the same time, if you're now, if you say you're high three quarters or, you know, or, or lower than that, low three, especially low three quarters, I should say, even more so, it's going to be hard to get on top of a curveball, right? Like that's when you become more of that fastball slider pitcher. Is that yeah. reasonable? And even if you're calling it a curveball from a low three quarter slot, I'm going to, I'm going to struggle to see unless it's super high efficiency, how it's really even a curveball, right? It could be like a sweeping slider. I mean, I guess we're getting into kind of the, the part of pitch design where it's, you know, a sweeping curveball and a sweeping slider. What's the difference. But at the same time, it's hard to make that ball go you know, North South out of that slot. It's, it's near impossible without having, you know, some, some crazy wrist angle type things and, and, you know, other things that get a lot more complicated. Um, it, it's just going to be purely, you know, almost anatomically, right? Like it's almost just the way that you know, we're built to throw a ball. It's going to be tough to, to even do it. So, so that's a great point. I think. And Lonsway struck out 13 per nine this past season. He walked 5.7 per nine. So that is kind of the story of Seth Lonsway. He's been a, you know, a big part of Ohio state's uh, rotation, you know, couple of years now but it will be interesting to see kind of how he develops in pro ball as well and again like you said but he's not going to be a first round pick 
when you get a little further on, then that's where the trade-offs go. When we talk about Jack Leiter, when we talk about Kumar Rocker, we talk about Ty Madden and Sam Bachman, at that point, you're saying, I'm not having to make a whole lot of trade-offs. By the time you get to the even second round, by the time you get to the third, fourth, fifth, then you're talking about with pitchers, you're saying, okay, I'm getting, (laughs) there's kind of, there, there are these, okay, what do I, this guy have a lot of, what does he have a little of? Okay, I'm getting a lot of velocity, but the command's not all that and the control's not all that well. Or he has a really the, that I love the, 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 you know, the breaking ball. I love the spin efficiency. I love the movement profile of it. But like you said with Hubeck, okay, you're not getting that velocity yet. Now, maybe it'll come down the road, but you're not getting it where it's like, okay, ideally I'd love that pitch to be about five, eight miles an hour harder paired with 95 plus on the fastball. That's why the draft's all very interesting is, is that, the ability to suss out which characteristics, which projectability guy is going to develop further is where you get from, okay, I'm taking this guy a little later on in the draft. And then you look back on it later and you say, oh, you really got something out of it. But before we move to hitters, we do have another combine guy who stood out to you and we're staying, you know, we're, we, we, we've, we've done Ohio State so now we're going we're gonna to give both sides of the rivalry some time here. So now we're going to move on to Michigan. And why is it that a Michigan guy stood out to you? Yeah, so Steven Hager, um, he has an interesting pitch mix. So he's more of a pitch mix. Obviously, I mean, his individual pitches themselves are great, but the fact that he has three pitch, pitches that can, you know, honestly be called plus it, you know, it, it, depending on the way you look at it, it is, is incredibly impressive. So he throws a hard fastball, 95-plus. Um, I mean, was touching, I think, 96, 97, at least at the, at the combine. Um, not great spin efficiency. It's okay. I mean, he's, he's 90, 95 plus um, efficient. But like I've said earlier, I mean, people have shown the ability to throw 99% pretty much on command. Um, and, and as a lefty, I mean, it's an average spin direction. It's 1045. So if you think about it, you, you reverse kind of the righty. He's essentially a, a righty 115, which is, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much squarely, squarely average at 1045. Um, but the pitches that I thought were, were even more interesting than that, right? The fastball is interesting just because it's thrown hard. It's, it doesn't stand out other than that too much. But he throws – and the few sliders he did throw at the combine, they were all extremely low low efficiency, which, like we talked about in the last episode, ex- extremely low efficiency um, sliders, uh, essentially what we like to call dry row balls, um, are, are, re- are really hard to throw, right? It's essentially a, a ball that's thrown almost identically like a football or with bullet spin, essentially with no um, – Backspin, side spin, or um, you know, top spin—it's really just thrown like a bullet. So the, his ability to kind of on command throw that five, sub five percent slider is is going to be a very deceptive pitch when paired with that fastball, as long as he can pair it well. Um, and he throws and, and as he throws it hard, right, as, as a hard thrower, um, it's going to be a pitch that looks like a fastball um, for a very long time until until it's not. And then I'll also dive into, you know, he, he does have a high efficiency curveball, uh, at pure twelve six. Um, does have that 12-6 movement. I think the the spin the spin efficiency was was fine, but the ability those three pitches paired with the fact he throws hard is a very you know it, it's it's wipeout stuff as long as it's located well and it's it's uh, you know tunneled well. I, I want to go a little bit more into the gyro ball. So basically, what you're talking about, and again, I'm trying to summarize and then feel free to correct me because I may be off base. But if it's thinking of it, okay, you're throwing that slider, and really what you're almost making is is that the spin is effectively not doing anything in some ways to the pitch, which sounds counterintuitive in some ways, right? Like, but 
because the hitter reads spin, that will then mean that the hitter is, is taken off of what he expects because for the majority of the pitch path, you know, path, it's not going to do a whole lot. Right. Is that a, a fair exactly, way to explain yeah. it? Yeah. And that pitch has always been a pitch that people have, have shown a, a pretty good ability to pair with the fastball and that like, it looks fastball ish because you're throwing it just as hard generally. I mean, not, not as hard in the velocity, but you're making the same motion, but yes, it is going to drop because with the fastball, with the spin efficiency being 95% plus, it's going to it's gonna it's gonna rise up. It's gonna rise Quite up in terms gravity of, without gravity. Now with gravity, it's still gonna go down. But at the same at the same time, this other pitch, this this low efficiency gyro ball slider, is going to drop um, more than he, more than the batter expects. So it's it kind of has that that break effect without actually technically adding break to the ball, but it makes it extremely deceptive. That's really the big thing. Otherwise, if you knew, I mean, if you threw a, a gyro slider every time, it's not gonna be deceptive at all, quite honestly. But the ability to pair that with a pitch. Um, as impressive as that 95 plus fastball is, is really what, what makes it wipe out. And, and the other thing with Hader that, that stands out about him is, is that him throwing at the combine, his velocity in season this year at Michigan was a little bit up and down uh, this year, coming back from a, a knee injury. And there's, he's shown kind of that ability to kind of get to that velocity in the past. He showed it at times this year, but I, I think that was pretty useful for him to kind of go out there and do that and kind of put that in front of everybody right before the draft. Like, Hey, what you saw from me in my worst outings this year, by the way, he was still very effective, but he just didn't always have the velocity this year that maybe teams had expected, but his ability to show that in the combine to me does help him a good bit going into the draft because you now have that and you're like, okay, we saw him just do that. And I know it wasn't a game, but it was a pressure pack situation. It was something very important for these players that, that you're not going there and just having, this is not just a random side session where you're trying to work on stuff. This is you throwing to basically put yourself out there in advance of the draft for all 30 teams. And he performed and he responded doing that. And, and to me, that is something also that that becomes interesting as you talk about with the draft, but Again, it's an interesting, I like how you put it, it's an interesting mix of pitches that he has. And when you put that whole combination together, these pitches aren't in a vacuum. If you, I'll throw that before we go to the hitters. If we took, I, we could take really good pitch attributes for individual pitches, but if you Frankenstein together a pitcher, it could potentially not work all that well together because if they don't fit with each other, if they don't pair with each other, they become like you said there with the gyro ball, if you have a gyro slider and you don't have a efficient spin, efficient fastball, it's not going to pair as well. Right. Because if you throw that pitch a lot, it's just a, a, a slightly slower fastball that drops a little more if you can look for it. But if you're having to prepare for this hard fastball with, with riding life, you know, high, you know, right. You know, rising life, I should say, then, then that gyro ball becomes a very effective pitch if I'm throwing a fastball with a lot of run, that doesn't pair as well with the 12-6 curveball as it would maybe with a slider. That There's different combos that work better together than if you just took these pitches and looked at them in isolation, right? That is correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's really what 
Yeah, it's really what it's all about with pitching. I mean, if you go to a guy, I know we talked about DeGrom before, but you know, the reason why his gyro slider is so good, I mean, it's throwing 90 miles an hour, but at the same time, he just pounds you with fastballs and he, you're swinging at a fastball when you're hitting a slider. So it's, it becomes a very, very tricky thing for, for batters to prepare for and a near impossible task. Okay, let's move it over to the hitters because we did also have hitters taking BP at the combine. And again, you all had uh, the Rapsodo hitting devices there, you know, gathering everything, recording every swung they took. Now, again, this was, this is BP. So we're looking at exit velocity. We're looking at consistency of it. We're looking at launch angle because if you hit the ball 115 plus, but you hit it straight down into the ground, you know, that we're only on grounders, or if you hit it, at 65, you know, percent launch angle, that's not going to do nearly as much for you as hitting at 110 at an at a, at a more ideal, you know, hard line drives, hot long fly balls. Those characteristics all work together. But who is a who is a hitter who really stood out to you from the combine? Yeah, and I'll, I'll start this off with saying that I mean the, the hitting was extremely impressive as the pitching was. I'll start with a general uh, general stat here. Uh, over the course of the days we were there, there were 60 hits over 400 feet. So <laughs> 60 absolute no-doubter homers. Um, I mean, it was ex- just extremely impressive to see. And then a lot of these guys will talk about our guys that are, fall into that category. So uh, one guy that I think when we were there, um, and it is the highest guy, will, highest rank guy we'll talk about is Alex Benelas. Um, he had, I mean, an absolutely in, extre- you know, an incredible session in front of us. So um, he hit 23 balls of the approximately 50 he hit. It was a pretty long BP session. 23 balls over 100 miles an hour, which to put that in into category, uh, put that into more context. Um, MLB categorizes a hard hit ball as actually 95 miles an hour. So this is this is balls hit, you know, by all means extremely hard. Um, balls that could turn into a home run if they're hit at the correct launch angle. Um, and another thing with Alex is that he he maxed out at 445 feet on his longest home run or his longest hit. Um, and his, and he actually had the second and third longest hits of the combine itself. So again, with Benayas, you're talking about a guy who came into the year, thought to have some of the best power in the class. We saw that this year. He had a rough start to the season as far as hitting for average, but the power was there all year. He got that the, the average did climb up as the season went along. He had a monster ACC tournament. He, he was a guy who really, I, I think... <laughs> it was unfortunate for him that the season ended when it did for them because it, it felt like that everything was kind of coming together for him. Probably good for him that, okay, let me take that to the combine. And oh yeah, by the way, let me put together what was really probably the most impressive BP session of the entire combine. So he's, uh, he was one that did absolutely jump out. So who's someone else who, who really kind of showed yeah. something? Yeah, and, and one, one other thing I wanted to highlight with, with Benelis as well, um, and it, it's, it's something we didn't talk about on the last podcast, um, is, is spin rate with hitting. So spin mm-hmm. rate on hitting is something that's a bit, I mean, I didn't say it a bit, a lot, it's a lot less common to be talked about than uh, spin rate on, on pitching. You know, as we know with the whole, with, with spin rate lately, this has been in the news a lot. People have gotten a ton of coverage. Yes, but yes. I There's, will. <laughs> I think I think my mother, who does not follow baseball, has asked me about spin rate with pitchers. Absolutely. You know, it's it. That's always a ten. That tells me it's broken through. That means it's showing up on the Today Show or Good Morning America or whatever. Absolutely. So, and, and I will say, so with hitting, so I guess just, just to briefly explain the concept of sooner than hitting, right? If you square a ball up, 
you know, you know, those balls that are uh, knuckling, right? You see the, the balls in slow-mo that, you know, are actually have a knuckleball. I know that some of those have, have, have become pretty popular and, you know, I'm seeing baseball Twitter a lot, um, you know, balls that are knuckled, right? Those are balls say, we'll say had that have less than 500 RPMs, you know, so just a pure knuckleball coming off the bat. Uh, usually those balls are, are hit the hardest because they're squared up so much that, you know, it's not hit with backspin, sidespin, topspin at all, just pure, pure, uh, pure knuckle, pure knuckling. And we also have balls you know, up to the 4,000 to 5,000 range, um, which if you think about it, it's very glancing contact. So you say like a, a pop-up that's hit really hot, really high, right? It's going to have a ton of RPM of, of backspin because, um, you know, it, it's a glancing blow. It didn't, it didn't transfer very much it, of the energy into going far. It transferred a lot of the energy into the spin itself. Um, and so to, to, to talk about that with the context of Alex, um, a lot, with a lot of people in, in baseball, you know, you might say, hey, you should, you should try to backspin the ball. Absolutely. To get carry, you absolutely need to backspin the ball. But that does not mean it's not the same as pitching in the sense that you want to backspin it only to a certain amount, right? Because if you backspin it at 4,000, 5,000, you're actually just going to be hitting a balloon ball, right? It's going to get out to the outfield, and it's likely already a pretty high hit ball, and it's going to just spin and spin and spin, and it's, it's going to stop and, and fall, pretty much fall to the ground. So with Alex, the average of his balls hit 350. So balls that are, you know, more or less home runs, some, some may, may be, some may not be, depending on where they were hit in the park. But yeah, his average on balls at 350 plus was 2,100 RPMs, which isn't knuckling, right? Like I said, below 500 is knuckling. Uh, above 4,000 is pretty much a, you know, it's a balloon ball. 2,100 is smack in the middle of, you know, we recommend like, you know, 1,500 to 2,500 is an ideal range for, for spinning, uh, hitting spin rate. So he was, I mean, a great example of a guy that controlled his contact extremely well. I didn't know it was BP, but the ability to, hit the ball far, that far and also maintain that RPM, you know, wasn't hitting it 1000. He wasn't hitting it 3000, 2100 is smack in the middle of kind of our recommended range of, Hey, try to stay around this range to maximize your carry without hurting the distance on the, on having too much spin rate. Okay. Uh, two questions with that one, like I, uh, just to explain, like we were, I think you explained it very well, but like, if you've ever played tennis, if you ever played golf, like, okay, if I take a tennis racket and I cut chop down on the ball when I'm hitting it, okay. You see how that, the tennis ball responds differently to that than if I exaggeratedly pull up with my tennis racket. If I hit it, I'm putting different top spin or backspin on it. But with the spin rate you just talked about there, the 2100, you talked about top spin, you talked about you know backspin. How does that differentiate it? Because I could see it being 2000 RPM where it's spinning top spin, which basically is going to then act on the ball to push it down whereas mm -hmm. i can have 2000 rpm with backspin that will then kind of you know act on the ball by uh, trying to effectively lift it up aerodynamically is that yeah yeah no that's it's a great question and a good and a great you know point of clarification i think is so this is 2100 rpms in the in the backspin direction only uh, and the ability to even hit the ball 350 plus would mean you almost hitting it if you were able to be able to hit it uh, 350 plus with topspin that's an extremely impressive feat because you're essentially <laughs> counteracting how hard you hit it and how the launching you hit it by any doubt like if you think about um some of you know with the swing plane of say a chris bryant right you see some of his singles to left field they're actually topspin right he's he's kind of flicking up on the ball he hits it very hard but you know it's one of those balls that seems to like get over the shortstop and dive down in in front of the left fielder right that's a ball hit with topspin now when it, when when Bryant hits a home run he's still hitting backspin maybe less backspin given that swing plane than than more hit than most hitters are are doing um but 
but he's still getting backspin because you, you, I mean, from a physics standpoint, it's nearly impossible to hit a home run with topspin itself. Now, when it gets to backspin, there is that kind of 2100, you know, that 1500 to 20, that 2500 range that we're kind of targeting as, as that ideal range, if you will. And, and again, like you said, the thing about it is, is, is that you get above that. And what that also means is, is you're getting into glancing blows, right? So you're not going to have enough solid wood to ball contact when you get to a point. Like you, if you said, like, if you were trying to do that exaggerated, you, you want to do it. But really what we're talking about is, is really con- with Benayas is really consistent ability to make hard, solid contact with a good swing plane to get carry on the ball which yeah, it's BP, but there are a lot of guys who can't do that in BP. I mean, that does mean something for your hand eye, for your barrel control, for those attributes that should hopefully carry over for you into in-game situations as well. But that's a great deep dive into, again, one of the better college sluggers in this year's class. Who, who's someone else who stood out to you from the combine? Yeah, so we'll move on to a to a high schooler here. So Vitas Valencius, I believe, is 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 how it's pronounced. I mean, well I'm, done, I'm, well me. done, sir. Well done. <laughs> um, and he is a he's currently committed to um, South Carolina, and he, he's towards the back end of the uh, the BA top five hundred right now. He's four hundred eighty eighth. Um, and, and his performance was by all means, it, it, you know, incredible. He actually hit the hardest ball that we tracked at one hundred and eleven miles an hour off the bat, um, which is especially in BP really, really hard. And it wasn't a fluke. He also had hits of 110, 107, you know, a few more at 105. So it wasn't like, okay, 111 and then 95, right? It was, it was 111 and then 110. (laughs) It wasn't lightning struck one time. And by the way, that was amazing. That one time. No. Yep. Um, And then he also has um, on those, on those hits, um, he has solid launching on those hits, which, you know, launching isn't everything, EV isn't everything, but the ability to pair those two things together means those balls are going really far. So, I mean, he was able to stay in that, you know, 20 to, to 25, 30 range um, very often, which is going to lead to balls in the gap, balls over the outfielder, especially if you're hitting at 111, 110. I mean, those are those are home runs. Um, and, and and also to kind of keep consistency with what we talk about, Benelis, um, he had 19 of his approximately 40 hits were above 100 miles an hour of EV. So it wasn't just those fluky couple. He hit the ball very hard, very often, um, which for a high school, for a high schooler, um, the ability to maintain that exit velocity was extremely impressive over a rather long BP session. I think I, I, we touched on this in the last time we did this, but I do want to bring it up again. If you're just listening to this podcast, you may hear 110, 111 and go, okay, that sounds nice. But I was watching a game last weekend and they had a guy who had 114, had 115. And that's true. I mean, again, you'll see Giancarlo Stanton. He lives his best hits are in the 117, 18, 19 range, which he's in rarefied air kind of almost by himself. But the key thing you touched on there is that this is BP and there is that component to it too. 110, 111 in BP is much harder to find than 110, 111 in a game, right? Yeah. And obviously in a game, you're not going to maintain that velocity very much with you know the ability of pitchers to, to miss your bat. But yeah, I mean, really, that ma- maxing out—you're going to max out at, at a lower, at a lower v, uh, exit below due to the impound pitch. Now, it's not going to add that many miles an hour. Obviously, like you're talking 111 right now, you're talking 117, only six miles an hour different than Giancarlo Stanton. Um, but it does help that the uh, the inbound velocity does does aid that at least right. a few miles an hour at the very it, least. If 
Now, again, this would be unsustainable, but if you were talking home run derby theory, if you had a BP pitcher who could throw a very hittable 100-mile-an-hour fastball that hitters could time, that would be your best BP home run derby. You know, we got the home run derby coming up for the All-Star game. That would be the best way to do it. But as you just note, it's a very small component. It's a fractional component of inbound velocity as opposed to what that produces as far as exit velocity, right? Yeah, and I would say even for like something that's in a in a in a home run derby ask scenario, you might not even need to max out that high on a, on an exit velocity, right? One eleven hit at the right launch angle is it's know, like run. we're talking about. It's it's four fifty, right? It's it, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> in that yeah. scenario, all you got to do is maintain as long as you have the you know the, the raw the raw power, which I'm not saying is easy. It's a very difficult thing to have, but if you have the raw power to hit at one ten or sorry one hundred every time. As long as you're keeping that launch angle at 30 degrees pretty consistently, that's a home run every time. But but again, like I do like that. I want a home run derby where you get bonus points for exceeding, you know, forfeit. That's what I talk about that yeah. I want you to say how to change the game, move the fences back. I want there because right now, I mean, I, I was funny. I was talking to, a, you know, a guy with a team recently. We were talking about a hitter. And it's like, you know, the problem for him is, is that he's just needs to make more consistent contact. And the real problem is, is that a 450 foot home run gives you the same amount of runs as a 375 foot home run. You're right. Like it doesn't make, but obviously the thing that 450 gives you is if you can hit a ball 450, you can then slightly miss hit a ball 425, 430, which is still a home run. If you can make hit a ball 380 and then you don't make as solid contact, well, you're just hitting a pop fly out. That's the, yeah. the difference that stands out. So it, it is kind of one of those things that it, it works both ways, but it, it doesn't work identical. It's not something where you say, oh, hitting the ball that hard really doesn't give you anything. No, it gives you a wider range of area of being able to, uh, to, to hit home runs, even when you didn't get that 100% everything into it. But, okay, so we talked about him. I want to bring up, we're going to bring up another slugger. Now we're going to we're stay in the ACC, though. You already talked about Louisville's Alex Benayas. What about Florida State's uh, uh, Elijah Cabell? Yeah, so he had the longest hit at the Combine. So just barely um, edging out uh, Benayas here um, at 449 feet. So Benayas at 445 feet, uh, Cabell at 449. And actually, it was in, it was in a shorter BP session. So... It was, uh, it was one of the sessions where they were cr a bit crunched for time, so he only had, I think, around 20 swings. And it was still impressive enough to, to make this list and hit it the longest at the combine. Um, had a ton of hits over 105. And, and what was interesting also is that he maintained a kind of a higher launch angle range than the other guys, which kind of led to more of these balls that were, you know, <laughs> pretty much like at the batter's eye, hitting the batter's eye. It really the ability to, to really power it, you know, hitting it hard and also hitting it um, very consistently far. Um, even in the short amount of time that he he did have to to kind of show it off, and, and that's something that Elijah Cabell did. I, and actually, when you say that, it very much fits with the attributes that I would expect. If you just look at what he did this season at Florida State, he showed massive power. He had a 560 slugging percentage despite a 264 batting average. So that's an ISO of you know that that's a almost 300 isolated power there. He also had a 40% strikeout rate. So it's kind of the, and again, when you talk about those kind of launch angles, the other thing that can happen with that is 
is you are emphasizing power potentially at the cost of consistent contact because, okay, how do you generate that? Well, the bat is not staying on plane with the ball as long coming, the ball coming in, the bat coming, you know, swing to knock it, send it back out. But if you do intersect those perfectly or close to perfectly, that's where you can get a truly majestic home run. That combo can work together for good. And also, and again, Cabell also had a 397 on base percentage this year. He knows that he, he, he did draw his walks as well, you know, some hit by pitches as well. It's not like he was just helpless at the plate if he didn't hit a homer, but it is one of those things where those attributes kind of sync up pretty well as I would expect it. Um, and as you said, he did hit some balls that, man, they were pretty. They, I, I do love a good majestic home run. Joey Gallo, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Elijah Cabell hit some majestic home runs in that BP. And that's, and you said it was also in a shorter session. So he didn't get as many opportunities, but he still did manage to pull that out. So kind of putting this all together, <laughs> one thing I want to talk about when you talk about distance, I think a key part of this is, is you mentioned spin rate. That's part of the calculation, right? That's, it's something where it's not just you're saying this ball was hit at 110 at 22 degree launch angle. That's part of it. But you also are factoring in these other components that do affect and can somewhat significantly affect the distance of a of a hit. Yeah, no, it's it's an extremely important thing that really is is rather unknown. I mean, I don't want to say unknown, right? At the same time, it's really if the data is in the public, people will start to know it. But it's really something that you know is pretty unique to our own product. Um, in that you can see a ball, right? Even even just we won't even talk about the raw spin rate in terms of everyone going to this right at, at this point. But say like even top center backspin, right? You can see a difference. Say it's a ball hit at, you know, uh, 90 miles an hour at 20 degrees, right? Say a ball's hit at the same, it'd be the same top spin, the same back. Say, say a thousand RPMs of top spin on one, a thousand RPMs of, of backspin on the other. Um, you could see a difference of 50, 50 plus feet in the, in the carry um, between those two, because one hit Massive. is, you know, <laughs> hit up and then it spins itself down to the ground with top spin or, a hit that's hit with backspin that carries a little bit. I know as opposed to, you know, the, the hit in the middle is going to be which, the hit that's with zero spin, which is not really possible, but you know, which again, um, when we say carries, which is it fights gravity better because gravity is a constant on all these, but it fights gravity better. And again, that's, I mean, that's something significant though, because it's not just, Oh, I hit this ball hard. It is the quality of how you hit it. That does play out, you know, a factor in, basically how far the ball goes. And when you say that though, when you say 440, 450, now we are operating, <laughs> you could have a ball that is tracked to go 450 and it could go 470 or it could go 430, depending on, are you playing in Wrigley with the wind blowing out? Are you playing in Wrigley with the wind blowing in? Because there are external factors that are not a part of this calculation, right? Yes. Yeah. And these are all, these are all normalized um, because we're, we're, you know, from the, from the perspective of the unit, it really doesn't care what the weather is, which I think there's, there's pros and cons, right? It, it's, it's great for, it's great for the ability to compare people one-to-one -one, because you don't really care if, you know, maybe the wind started blowing out a little bit later in the session and this guy's home run started going a little further uh, as opposed to the guy that hit earlier or something like that. Um, 
But at the same time, yeah, it, it is going to change based on the conditions. And and even to take it one step further, it could be that the conditions themselves are impacting or kind of aiding that spin. So maybe you're having a ball that was spinning back decently hard, and then you have, you have the spin, you know, that you have the wind coming in. It's going to aid that spin to go even less far. Right. I, so it's uh, a lot of different ways they can interact. But again, like to me, normalizing it makes sense. This is we're using this as a as a tool. I, I want to know comparing apples to apples. I don't want to say, oh, by the way, this guy hit the ball less hard with a less ideal angle of how he hit it with less ideal spin. But because the wind was blowing 40 miles an hour when he hit it, it went 20 feet further. Well, what does that really tell me? Because he had, you know, unless you're telling me that this hitter has a way to optimize for wind, which the first hitter who does that will be the, 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 you know, the next one. But unless you're doing that, I want to know, okay, how does I'm comparing what this guy during his BP did to this guy in his BP. And really also on top of that, you're comparing that you're not saying if one's in Coors Field and one's in, you know, it, 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 at the Marlin stadium, you also want to compare that. You don't want to say, oh, okay, well you get an extra 20 feet because you're playing a, a mile above sea level either. Again, normalize to compare these apples to apples, not apples to, uh, you know, tangerines. But yeah. I, so having now had a chance to kind of go through the combine, like I have to imagine that you're already, you all are already iterating like, okay, this is going to add more useful data for next year when you're doing all this stuff uh, again, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, we, we are looking, you know, it's, a, it's kind of further that, um, it was great to see, you know, the first time we were there and obviously the first, the first combine that, that yeah. MLB has done. So, yeah, we're always looking at ways to, you know, further integrate our, our products with, with these sessions. Cause it was, it was awesome to see. I mean, it was, it was great that we were out there and, and, you know, showing, showing what we have, but also just great for the players to be able to, you know, show some of these things that are unique, right? It's not that they're, you know, in the past, if you have a combine, it's just the scout's eye and maybe there's a, there's a radar gun, but like we, like we've said a lot, there's a lot more data, that can can be helpful in, in getting, a, getting a guy drafted, right? There's a lot of different – really the way I think about it is, like, if you're a scout with all this data, an MLB scouter or otherwise, um, you can kind of dream on players a little bit better with certain attributes that you otherwise wouldn't even know they had, right? Maybe maybe you you in the past you'd accidentally draft a guy that turns out he had this great attribute you didn't even know he had. But now you, you, you're, you're able to see that data and more accurately um, – address and kind of rank these players, if you will, before you get them into your system, um, which is what I think our data does uh, by and large. Uh, the other thing I would say with that is, is, and it can work the other way too, which is, is you can find a player, let's say for instance, especially at the high school level, but even at the college level, you can find a player who you watch them and you say, these individual components seem really good. The results aren't there. Well, why aren't they there? And then you look at this and you were able to realize, oh, yeah, this doesn't pair with this. Or he throws this pitch that really he should either completely rework or throw away is where he's getting beat. Again, if you take, for instance, you have a fastball slider pitcher who throws a horrendous changeup, but he throws it a lot, or more, more realistically, a fastball slider changeup pitcher who throws a lot of sliders, even though that slider is his worst pitch. Well, 
being able to suss out that this is his worst pitch and know, okay, that's a buy, that's someone that we may be able to get in the draft a couple of rounds later because of performance. But we know once we get that player into our system, we can improve that slider. Or maybe we just say, ah, you don't need that pitch. And by the way, the minute you stop throwing that pitch, you're going to be a better pitcher because that's where you're getting torn up. Or even something as simple as location that you are throwing to. It may be, hey, you're throwing a lot of sinking fastballs, but you know what? You're actually, your fastball doesn't play well down in the zone. It plays well up or vice versa. You all are, again, the, the data is giving the ability to optimize each individual pitcher to what's best for them, not just what's best for it. There, there are no easy generalities for this across the, the board it, other than say throwing hard is good. Again, you can't even say spinning the ball is good because in some cases not spinning, you know, like having a pitch that doesn't spin is good. Oh, he throws a great high spin changeup. Well, uh, not, that's not what we're talking about necessarily. So this is all fascinating. I thank you again for all the time. And it's, we could be doing this I, again. We could just sit here and do this for every, you know, pitcher in the draft, every hitter in the draft. And I think it'd be fun, but there are limits. We've, we've done basically an hour again here, but Nicholas Rossini, analytics manager at Repsota, thank you again for the time. And again, I hope you all enjoyed this, this deep dive. If you did, and you haven't listened to the first go back because there was, we did uh, further looks much like this about other players and what attributes about them really stood out pitchers and hitters. So I would recommend going back and look at that and obviously go to baseballamerica.com. If you also like this and you haven't checked it out, we have the BA 500. We have on there rap scores, which are kind of synthesizing a lot of what we just talked about into a, into a simple, a single score for pitchers and hitters. You can check that out at baseballamerica.com as well. For Nicholas, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.